I was five years old, was sitting at our white rectangular table in our kitchen in Tyler, Texas, our old house. I can still remember the scene. And my dad explained to me the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came and he died for my sin and he rose again and that by believing in him and trusting in him, I could experience forgiveness and new life and eternal life with God forever. And I believed it in a, in a childlike way, but I trusted Christ. And, and at that moment, I was saved. I was forgiven and rescued forever by Jesus. Now, for many of you, you in your faith journey, you've had an experience like that. You've come to a point where you've said, Jesus, I trust you and experienced forgiveness and new life. Can you remember that moment where you were? Can you remember what you felt, the peace? Can you, can you remember the clarity that you had in that moment around the gospel and God's love for you? Now, let me ask you a question. What happened next? Immediately after that, so the moment after the moment you trusted Jesus, what happened? And if you're like me, you can't remember. I can't remember what happened. But I want you to imagine with me that what happened next was, you know, you prayed or you, you know, you really, you just believed in Jesus. And then in, in the very next moment, the person across the table from you said, okay, now go get your swimsuit. And you said, What? Excuse me? Yeah, go get your swimsuit because we need to dunk you into water and we'll pull you up again. Don't worry. And uh, it's really important. You say, why in the world would I do that? I have no interest in And the person says, no, this is really important. I mean, God said to do this. It's called baptism, so go get your swimsuit. Now, hopefully today, that was nobody's experience. Maybe that was your experience, but, but hopefully not. But regardless of your experience, if you imagine that, if you imagine that scenario, what's the question that pops up into your mind? It's simply, why? Why should I be baptized? And in a room like this and people who've been around church and spirituality, we all have different opinions and experiences with baptism. So when I put the question, why be baptized up here, I know that in the room today, there's a lot of different opinions about that. Let me just give you a few responses that I think roll around in our heads when we see that question. Why be baptized? First response, don't know, don't care. You know, maybe you're here today and you say, frankly, it's weird that somebody would put your head underwater and bring you back up again in some spiritual exercise, and I have no interest in that. So, you know, maybe that's you today, and I don't blame you if that is your feeling about baptism. You say, I don't really know why you would do it, and I don't care. Another response that, that forms inside of us is, well, why be baptized? Because everyone else is doing it. Johnny, your brother got baptized, so you should be too. Everyone else in the youth group is doing it. You should do it. Your family is, whoever the they are, everyone else, they are doing it. Therefore, you should be baptized. And, and for some of us, that was our experience. That's why we got baptized, because we felt pressure. And another response that comes up in, inside of us, why be baptized? It's to put a smile on God's face. And we wouldn't say that, but we believe that. That, you know, maybe the person telling us or just in our own thought life, it, it went something like this. You know, you, you don't have to be baptized. 
But God would really, really like it if you did. I mean, he loves you and all through Jesus, but he would like you more if you were baptized. The extreme version of this, by the way, is God will judge you if you don't. He's going to get you. I've had people even in this church tell me I'm afraid that I'm going to hell because I haven't been baptized. So in certain religious cultures, we really believe that God will judge us if we don't appease him or please him through being baptized. And then a a fourth response, and maybe this is how you come at that question, a fourth response is, because the Bible tells me so. Why be baptized? Because the Bible says it. And for you, maybe it's if the Bible says it, that settles it, I'm getting baptized. But let me ask you this question. Why does the Bible say you should be baptized? I won't argue with you, but baptism is in the Bible. It's important. We're going to talk about it today. But why? What is the big deal with baptism? And here's what I'm convinced of. After wrestling with God's word this week, here's what I'm convinced of. The answer to that question, why does the Bible say we should be baptized, is so profound and so important. And it's not just for folks in the room and watching online who have never been baptized. It's for all of us. Because what we're going to talk about today, what baptism reveals, it gives us a glimpse into the heart of the gospel and the heart of God. And so what we see, what we uncover in scripture about baptism is so relevant for you and for me today. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. And as you're turning there, we need a little cultural and biblical context. This this word for baptism, it's the Greek word baptizo, and it was used in the first century in lots of different ways, before there was ever Christian baptism. Baptizo, that word was was simply used to describe something being dunked or dipped. If If a ship was sinking in the sea, you could say it was baptized. When Jesus dipped bread into the cup in John 13, he baptized the bread. So it just meant dipping or dunking something. Now that word came to be primarily used in the religious culture of Judaism for ceremonial washing. Because in Judaism, there were all these different reasons why you had to ceremonially wash yourself. You had to be baptized. And so that, that word was used in that context. But the idea of baptism began to take on new meaning with a guy named John the Baptist. John was at the Jordan River in the first century, and he he called Jews to break from the current generation of Israel, to repent of their sin, to change their ways, and to make way for the Messiah. And and as a a symbol, as a, a picture of that change, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River, which is why he was called John the Baptist or John the Dipper. It, it was not a denominational thing. He, he was baptizing people. And many of you, you know this, Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, he said to his disciples, he said, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So according to Jesus, it was really important. And the early church did this. They practiced this. They made disciples. They were baptizing people. And then as that was happening, the New Testament was written. And so the Apostle Paul is writing in the first century, and he's helping us 
to understand theologically why we're baptized in the first place. This whole practice of being immersed into water and brought back up, why do we do this? And so one of those places is Romans 6. It gives us a theology of baptism. I want you to follow along with me, beginning in verse 1. Paul, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. So Paul has just argued that salvation is by grace through faith alone, that we don't earn it. There are no works that we have to do in order to be saved. And Paul, he anticipates this argument. Well, if God saves us by grace, if we have peace with God apart from anything we do, then we can just do whatever we want. Why not just continue sinning? And so Paul, he anticipates that argument, and he says, no, by no means. Why? Why does Paul say we can't just continue in sin? Look at what he says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, in this dense theological text, there are four reasons at least why baptism is crucial for us today. And so I want to unpack that and give us four reasons why, according to this text, theologically, we ought to value and pursue being baptized. The first reason that it's important is because baptism identifies us with Jesus. Baptism identifies us with Jesus. You know, Paul never uses the phrase Christian in the New Testament. Did you know that? He never says Christian. Paul uses the phrase in Christ over and over and over. It's like he can't stop talking about it. To Paul, the fundamental thing about being a Christian is being in Christ. Now, as he's writing to this church in Rome, to these believers, he says to them, you can't continue living in sin, and he appeals to baptism for that. Why? I mean, think about this logically. Paul, he's trying to say, you can't just keep living in sin. Why does he appeal to baptism? Well, the key is in verse 3. Look, it says, don't you know... And all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, if we were reading this literally, we might think, no, Paul, I was baptized into water. He says, no, you were baptized into Christ Jesus. And, and Paul is getting his theology from Jesus himself. Because look at Matthew 28, Jesus, he said this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, Sinclair Ferguson, he has this incredible metaphor of, of baptism 
Biblically, baptism is like a naming ceremony. I worked at a, a camp called Pine Cove in, in college, and I ended up working there after college and been a big part of my life. But, but one of the, the strangest, most bizarre things that happens to you when you work at a camp like Pine Cove is you get a new name, which kind of makes it sound like a cult. And I guess you could kind of argue, you know, maybe it is. But you, you show up, and literally my first day there, they, they, they grab you at one point, and they pull you on stage in front of hundreds of people, and they give you a new name. And, and here's how that looks. Basically, any question is fair game. So people will stand up and say, hey, what's your favorite cereal? Hey, what's your favorite movie? Hey, what's the most embarrassing dating story you have? And they can ask you whatever they want, and you answer it. And then eventually, at some point, somebody will feel like they've got a good idea for a name, and they'll stand up and say, I have a name, and they'll try to sell the whole crowd on that name. And if they can convince people that that should be your name, then that becomes your name. And it's a very formulaic, objective method to determine if it becomes your name or not. Because the person on the stage facilitating will say, what do you all think? And if the crowd cheers loud enough, that becomes your name. And if not, he's like, oh, I don't know. Well, let's come up with a better one. And here's the thing. You have no say about any of this. They don't ask you. Hey, what do you think? In fact, if you show displeasure at some name that's being suggested, people will clap more. Give him that name. My friend at, at Pine Cove, he got named Fruitcake. You know, he, he was not happy about that name. When, when I was there, my, my very first day, I got named Hat Trick, which is, you know, like in hockey, you score three goals, a hat trick, which wasn't Braveheart or Chainsaw, you know, I'd, I would have preferred. But it's better than Fruitcake or Squeaky McSqueakerson, or Clean Up on Aisle 4, you know, some of my other friends. There, there is a sense in which baptism is this naming ceremony. That, that, that as you're given a new name, it doesn't change who you are. I was the same person when I went up on stage at Pine Cove and I got that name. Nothing internally changed but I was publicly identified in a certain way, and it changed the way that, that people thought about me. It changed the way I thought about myself. Now, it's kind of silly to compare, you know, camp, that environment to Scripture, but here, here's the truth, theologically, that before we come to Christ, what Paul says in Romans, we are all under the name of Adam. And what that means is that all of us, listen, before you came to Jesus... Your name was condemned. Your name was guilty, ashamed, afraid. That is the name that we all lived and operated under. And the gospel is that Jesus, he looks at us and he gives us a new name. He says, you are now a co-heir with Christ. We have the name Jesus imprinted onto our souls so that everything Jesus is, we have access to. It's unbelievable. And baptism is the setting, it's this public affirmation of that reality. It doesn't save you, it doesn't change you internally, but it recognizes something is different. And from that point forward, other people think, and, and you even see yourself differently, you have a new name. Jesus says you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the first reason why 
we're baptized is, is so that we can identify with Christ. Now, the second thing we see in this text is that baptism, it illustrates the story of our salvation. I want you to look at verse 4. Paul, he says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And you can see from the, the language here, Paul, he is linking this physical act of baptism. He says, you're buried, you go down, and you're raised up. So he's, he's talking about this physical act of baptism, but he's linking it to the spiritual reality of our salvation. So, so baptism, theologically, is a visible expression of an invisible reality. It's a picture and as my wife says, who's an artist, a picture is worth a thousand words. Baptism is a living picture of our salvation. It's a symbol. Now, I, you know, symbols don't save you. You know, again, we're, we're not saved because we're baptized. But it's really important. This wedding ring right here, this is not why I'm married. And good thing, because this is my third one. Now, I, I went through, you know, two of these in the first few years. But this ring is a symbol of my marriage. What makes me married, me and Katie, is our vows. We, we promised to one another. In the eyes of God and the state of Tennessee, I mean, that, that's why we're married. But this ring is so important because it's a visible reminder and symbol of our marriage. In the same way, baptism functions like that. It's a symbol. And it illustrates, it embodies, it communicates something about salvation that we can't understand in any other way. And God knows, God knows our feeble minds. We need pictures. We need ways to, to get our arms around salvation. And he's given us that in baptism. So, Baptism illustrates the story of our salvation. And, and, and by the way, one thing I thought about this week that is just so profound, you think about Christian baptism in the first century and why it was different. Only in Christian baptism, as opposed to Judaism, other religions, only in Christian baptism could you not baptize yourself. Someone else had to baptize you, and that's intentional. Because how are we saved? Listen, None of us are saved because of our own doing. We're good enough. We try hard enough. We had to be saved by someone else. And that's precisely what God has done through Christ. So baptism, again, it illustrates, it, it points us to the reality of our salvation. The third thing we see in this text is that baptism reminds us of Jesus' victory over sin. Baptism reminds us of Jesus' victory over sin. You know, for Paul, the theology around this subject is not abstract, but intensely practical. I want you to look with me, verse 6. He says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body, ruled by sin, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, when, when Paul says the old self, he, he's not talking about the first part of your life. 
before you became a Christian. That, that phrase, it's really the body characterized by the dominion of sin. It's who you are under the reign and rule of sin. And what, what he says here is that because of what Jesus has done in Jesus' death and resurrection and your union with Christ, what Jesus has done has, has done away with or rendered powerless is a little more accurate, the Greek here. He has rendered powerless that part of you that is under the reign and rule of sin. Now, this does not mean that we no longer deal with sin. We do. I, I feel like in the last year, I have struggled more, become more aware maybe of sin in my life than ever. We still struggle with sin, but the, the difference is we are no longer under the reign of sin, under its dominion, because we've been set free. When we come out of that water, united with Christ, we're free. And let me give us kind of an analogy to help us get our heads around this. When, when we moved from Texas eight years ago, we sold our house. Now, today, if I left and I drove the 15 hours back there and I get there tomorrow and I, and I knock on the door and say, I'd like to hang out here and live here, you know, would they welcome me back? No, that would be weird and, and bizarre, right? I can't just go back and live there. Why? Because I don't belong there anymore. I have been permanently relocated, Paul is saying has happened in your relationship with sin. You don't belong to it anymore. You're not under its reign and its rule. You're going to struggle. We all struggle, but it doesn't have power over you. In, in the words of Sinclair Ferguson, he says, you know, this is really saying don't let sin reign. If it's no longer in charge of you, then don't let it rule over you. Paul, he's saying don't yield to sin with any part of your life. To, to paraphrase John Owen, you know, John Owen, he, he said this. He said, you really only deal with two pastoral problems. The first problem is persuading people that are under the dominion of sin that they are under the dominion of sin. And that's evangelism. And the second problem is persuading people who are no longer under the dominion of sin that they are no longer under the dominion of sin because they're Christ's. And that's discipleship. And that's where many of us live today. We, we've been made new in the Christian life then, is working out the implications of our baptism. That, that yes, we struggle, but we're free. And, and you know, some, some of us today, you're saying, but I don't feel free. You're saying, Matt, I feel the sin. I don't feel free. And this is where through the eyes of faith, we say, but that's not who you are. Who you are is not dependent on how you feel, but on your identity. It's given to you, bestowed upon you through Christ. That's who you are. And so for all of us, listen, we, we have to remember that, that our citizenship is not based on our struggles. It's based on something deeper, something that happened in and through Christ. 
So baptism, it, it reminds us of that. If we have ears to hear, it's a teacher to say, you're free. When, when we see someone come up out of that water, it's a reminder, I'm free to, to live, to walk in newness of life. And then the fourth reason why baptism is so important, this text, is baptism announces our membership in the body of Christ. Baptism announces our membership in the body of Christ. You know, if you look at the pronouns in this text, you see something profound. It is quickly, verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism. The end of that says that we may live a new life, verse 5, for if we have been united, and then the, the second half of that verse, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection. On and on it goes, we, us, we. Why is that significant? There's a, a fascinating place in Ephesians. Chapter 4, Paul, he writes this. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, if I was getting this letter, the letter to the Ephesians in the first century, I might think, one baptism? That doesn't make sense. I mean, my dad was baptized 10 years ago. I was baptized three years ago. My daughter's getting baptized next week. One baptism? And Scripture says, yeah, one baptism. Why? Why are we baptized? I love this place in Corinthians. Paul, he says this in 1 Corinthians 12. And he's writing to a church plagued with division, okay? And this is what he says. For we were all baptized by one spirit. Why? so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. One body. And the reason why I'm, I'm trying to help us see a biblical theology of this is we tend to miss this aspect of baptism because of our highly individualistic culture. But this is a communal thing. You see, baptism, biblically, is never just about me and Jesus, there is a vertical component to baptism. I'm identifying with Christ, but there are horizontal implications of that, that I am now part of a bigger body of believers. That's the point of it, Paul says. We were baptized so we could form one body, all to the praise of God. And in baptism, again, I just want to be crystal clear, it's not what gets you into the family but it's what announces your membership in the family. One, one thing that's gone viral the past couple of years are gender reveal parties. You know what I'm talking about? Where a couple, you know, someone's pregnant and they, they throw a party and they, maybe they find out the gender or they have the doctor write it on a note and they get everybody together and in some creative way they pop balloons or they eat cake or something and, and it it's, it's pink or it's blue and everybody finds it, oh, it's a... It's a girl, and, and there's a, a celebration, right? There is a sense in which, and, and go with me here. There is a sense in which baptism is like that. Baptism is a revealing and an affirmation not of, I'm a boy or a girl, but it's a, it's a revealing and an affirmation of my membership in the family of Jesus, and this is why baptism 
is a corporate thing. We don't do it in a closet somewhere because when we see somebody baptized, whether it's at GFC or what, what you are watching is somebody, it's being announced they are part of your family if you've been saved by grace through faith, that, that now you have a new brother or sister in Christ. You see, baptism pulls our eyes up and out. And so this is not just about me or about them. It's about this whole incredible organism called the church that Jesus is building and will continue building throughout time. And again, the, the family of God is bigger than just you and your family, bigger than our church that we are connected with the mom in Haiti who trusted Christ a few weeks ago or the little boy in Cameroon who's gonna trust Jesus next week or the revival in South Korea and all these people are coming to put their, their trust in Jesus. We are all connected to one another. So again, we need this perspective because it's so easy, isn't it? Just to get into a routine and you come and you see baptisms and you just leave. And to think about, no, 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 this is an announcement that we're in the same family by God's grace through faith. So why is baptism important? Why be baptized? I think this text would say, theologically, we, listen, baptism, it identifies us with Jesus. It illustrates the story of our salvation, reminds us of Jesus' victory over sin, and announces our membership in the body of Christ. Now, why, why does all this matter to you? You know, I, I, I don't know this, but I, I, I don't think many of you woke up this morning saying, I just really hope we talk about baptism and the theology around it. Some, some of us, we, we love this kind of thing. Why does this matter to you? There's at least two reasons. One is, it is so easy to misunderstand practices like communion, baptism. It's so easy. And, and what's at stake? Listen, I, I, I want to say today, it's possible that if you misunderstand baptism, you misunderstand the gospel. You've, you've, you've misunderstood. God doesn't love you more if you're baptized. You're not proving anything to him by being baptized. And yet, it's really important because of the reasons we've talked about today. And the second reason why we need this, and you know, as a church, we just need to come back to this every so often, is because we forget and again, when we forget why we do these things that we do, listen, it's, it's not just, oh, I forgot. It's we lose sight of the gospel. That's how closely wedded baptism is to our salvation. We lose sight of the reality of what Jesus has done in us and in all of us throughout the world. So how do we apply this today? You know, how do we take the teaching, Romans 6, and apply it to our lives? Just a, a few applications. One is to pursue being baptized. You know, some of you, you know, maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've trusted Jesus and you've never been baptized. And there can be many different reasons for that. And, and we will not pressure you, I will not pressure you in any way, but I just want to ask you to consider the question, why not consider being baptized? Why? And if you want to take that step, and, and what, if you call GFC home, we would love the privilege of walking with you on that journey of going public with your faith. And just quickly, you know, the question pops up often. 
I was baptized as an infant or I was baptized a long, long time ago. Should I be baptized again? And so what I would say is the pattern of the New Testament, what our church believes and teaches, is that baptism is meant to follow our trusting in Christ. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And after that, we express that through baptism. And so if you've never been baptized after you've trusted Jesus, I I believe that the New Testament would say there is value for you in doing that, and you need to do that. Now, at the same time, many of us, we've been baptized, and then we'd say, well, after I was baptized, I really struggled with sin. Maybe even feel like you disowned your faith. You, you know, you've really, really struggled. And, and what I would say to that is that the teaching of the New Testament is that baptism is a one-time experience, that you don't need to get baptized every time you rededicate your life to God. So come back to God. You know, if you've, if you've strayed and you're far from him, come back. But don't attach baptism as a condition for you to to follow God again, to be close to him. So one application is just simply pursue being baptized, think about it. Another application for those in in the room who've already been baptized, maybe it was 20, 30 years ago, is to remember. You remember being baptized? Can you remember the feeling? You you remember the, 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 the peace, the clarity you had around God's love for you? Maybe today you just reminisce about that. Experience, And then thirdly, for all of us, no, no matter where you are spiritually, I think, I think the application of what, what God has for us this morning in a text like this is to embrace the point of baptism, to lean in to what this practice is trying to teach us. And this is all about, listen, this whole thing, it's all about God's grace God demonstrated his love for you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And by trusting in him, you can be forgiven and reconciled into his family. And what he went through for that to be the case, listen, Jesus, when he was baptized into death, he he soaked up all of it. I mean, understand, Jesus went through every kind of pain imaginable. He went to the cross, he died, he, he, he bled on our behalf, so that when he came up out of the ground and when we identify with him coming up out of that water, we would be new, forgiven, free. How amazing is God's grace. Will you pray with me? Lord, we we do just thank you for signs and symbols like baptism that, that help us understand and embrace your love in in a new way. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would now just come and meet us. You, You know every heart. You know where all of us are. And Lord, would you help us to know what it looks like to respond to a message like this? For those in the room who have trusted in you and maybe never considered baptism. Lord, I pray for courage. I pray that they would lean into this, not because I say it's important, Lord, but because Scripture clearly says this is, this is the pattern that we follow as we follow Jesus. And Lord, for, for those in the room maybe who don't know you, and, and maybe faith has really been more about do's and don'ts and religion, and, and Lord, I just pray it'd be so clear 
that our relationship with you, Jesus, is based on what you have done, not what we have done or not done. And Lord, that we would embrace that afresh. And God, for all of us, Lord, no matter how long we've been walking with you, would you sensitize our heart? Would you help us to not become numb to this practice of baptism? Lord, would you help us to see it as a living, breathing parable of your sacrificial love for us? So would you help us to live in light of that? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.